Earspoon, your home for the stuff you're thinking anyway. Welcome to the Earspoon. I am Fish, and uh, we're going to take a quick break because we're going to have Tom Squitteri from Talk Media News joining the program. want to uh, thank our sponsor, though, right out of the gate, Mocha Joe's, for sponsoring this here podcast and keeping us caffeinated. Thank you so much to them, and uh, we'll be back right after a message from them. This is the Ear Spoon with Fish and Steve. Ooh, One of our favorite things to do while we're doing the podcast, mm-hmm. drink Mocha Joe's coffee. We really need to get a sound effects library. <laughs> right, but That was inadequate, but it was real. It was real. Authentic. And Mocha Joe's uh, has started here in our little hamlet of Brattleboro, Vermont in yes. the late 80s and yes. has boomed. And they uh, they do all kinds of great uh, products and have swag. You can go to their website, mochajoes.com, order coffee by the pound. Uh, and we uh, we eat it by the pound here. We do. I don't. I prefer just to eat the beans straight. Straight. No, crunchy, a little true. bit. One of my favorite things about Mocha Joe's is mm. the fact that they support the the farmer. Yeah, you know they really do. They have the fair trade coffees that they they go after all the time. They're constantly uh, traveling around and yeah. And I got to say that I mean that's one of the first places I ever heard of the term fair trade. When I first got here twenty years ago, they were talking about this well before I think a lot of other people. And certainly it's now quite a thing. But being hip to how you supply your people and your your customers and caring at all and. Also, I mean, it ultimately winds up being a good economic choice, but they're just, it's the rightest thing to do. And, and, and farmers get kind of screwed, and Mocha Joe's make sure that they don't. That's right. And it's one of the reasons why uh, we just love having them as part of the podcast and uh, hope to have them for years to come. Amen. So go check it out, mochajoes.com. If you live uh, here locally, of course, you just stop down at the little cafe. Yeah, that's one of the coolest shops in town. Definitely is. More at the Hey everybody, welcome to the Earspoon. I am Fish. Steve will not be joining the podcast today, and uh, but joining me via the phone line from inside the Beltway, Tom Squitteri from Talk Media News. Good afternoon, Tom. How are you? Well, happy Monday to you. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right. It seems like if we can just dial back um, to the last election cycle, where it seemed like we were all kind of laughing at the Republicans and their 57,000 different, uh, different candidates... Uh, it seems like the Democrats have now created that own um, presidential nominee tsunami that's going on right now. I mean, what, so what's the talk inside the inside the Beltway for for this? Uh, there, there isn't really a lot of talk yet, other than the fact of what you just said. Essentially, that uh, there may be a lot of candidates running at various levels of competitiveness for the Democratic nomination. Uh, I was thinking back to when a lot of candidates ran before. You know, there were several of them who who ran uh, when Michael Dukakis got the nomination in '88. There was um, seven or eight of them running then, and then there was about seven or eight running in '84 when Vice, former Vice President Mondo got the nomination to run against President Reagan, who was seeking a second term. Again, seven or eight, maybe nine or ten, depending on how many you want to include in that. So let's just say 10 was the largest number in the past. We're going to exceed that already. We're going, to, we're going to exceed that easily by 2020 if we haven't exceeded it already, if you count every candidate who's announced from de- for the Democratic nomination. And that still leaves some people who haven't announced who are speculated to have 
an interest. And for example, today on driving to the Pentagon, I was listening to an interview with former Virginia Governor Terry McAuliffe, and you know he clearly sounds like he's interested in running. He said, according to the news show, that he was going to make a decision and announce his decision by the end of March, which is you know March begins the end of this week. And so you know he'd be a formidable candidate as well. So there are a lot of candidates going to be in the race, <laughs> right? Yeah, I mean, this is the this is kind of the world we're sort of living in, and I'm not, I don't. The the one thing that I keep saying is, look, it's a long cycle. I wish it wasn't two years long. It just yeah. is two years long. I don't. Has it always been two years long though, Tom? Am I just not no, remembering I mean, it? I, I, it's been a long time since I've covered politics, and actually, you know, I was just thinking this month, February, marks my 40th year based in Washington. So it's, I've been here a long time. Um, and so that was 1979 when I moved here. Uh, the 76 races and the 80 race, uh, you know, were much different. Um, I came in 79, and the first thing I covered of a presidential political nature was like a garden reception for George Bush, the first Bush. And it was held in the, in the you know, Washington home of Senator Hugh Scott of Pennsylvania, who I was from Pennsylvania, so I had gotten an invitation to it. And that would have been, you know, in the spring, perhaps, of, uh, of of 79, a year and a half before. But he was just sort of sounding things out. Uh, that That's still about almost two years. But if you look back into the six, 1960 race, um, which, of course, I didn't cover, uh, candidates didn't announce until 1960. All right. And I remember then, as I said, I lived in Pennsylvania, and there was a question whether the governor of the state of Pennsylvania, William Scranton, who was a Republican, was going to seek the nomination, and sorry, move ahead to 1964 uh, during the race against Johnson when Goldwater got the nomination. There was an issue of whether the governor of Pennsylvania was going to run for the Republican nomination, in that, and he was still debating it late into 1964. So the dynamics have changed a lot because of all the primaries and caucuses that have increased, but also it's just a sort of 24-7 news cycle, and people have saw like President Carter's early start in Iowa, which helped him win the Iowa caucus and then get the nomination and so on. So they replicate what they think is a winning formula. Right. Okay. I, you know, I don't know. To, to me, it just, it, it, it lends to, um, there, there's a, a, a phrase in the nonprofit world um, that talks about uh, donor fatigue. You know, yeah. and like, and and the, how that's a real thing, and that people constantly being hit up for money just get fatigued by it, and they don't want to do it. I mean, are, do we run the right. risk of election fatigue? Like so many right. people, right? You know, absolutely. That's a great analogy. That's a really great analogy, and I think you're absolutely on point. It's one of the reasons why uh, sort of the people in New Hampshire, you know, the state next to you, uh, they see all the candidates early a lot because it's the first primary. They sort of have an attitude. It's okay. Welcome to our state. Uh, We'll talk to you next year, type of thing, you know. <laughs> um, when it kind of gets serious, because they see a lot of them, and and uh, you know, I'm not, I don't feel comfortable always sort of judging who's out in front and all that. Clearly, you know, Senator Biden, Vice President Biden, Senator Sanders, Senator Warren, they have higher name recognition, and name recognition is important now if you show up in polls. But as a lot of candidates have shown, you can come out of nowhere if you work hard and have a great ground organization in New Hampshire or Iowa. Or, or another early state, and, and sort of distance yourself from the pack. Uh, you know, what I always find an interesting phenomenon, if, if I could go off to one side a little bit on this, is for years the Republicans had what others have called, and I used it as well, the bridesmaid theory. In other words, the, the man who, 
who would be the runner up to the, the eventual nominee got the nomination the next time. That sort of worked for the first Bush, George Bush, you know, you got Reagan, and he was the vice president, of course. And then after that, Bob Dole, who, who sought the nomination, he didn't get it the first time he got it again. Uh, Mitt Rom- John McCain didn't get it with George W. Bush, he got the nomination, Mitt Romney, so on. It changes, obviously, Donald Trump was different. Um, but it kind of happened with Hillary Clinton, you know, she ran against Obama, right. Obama got the nomination, then Clinton got it the next time. So, you know, if you want to look at that theory, it may mean that, like, Bernie Sanders sort of has an advantage, and that advantage comes in large part because the people who run again, like Sanders now, he essentially still has an organization, he has high name recognition, he has a donor base. So, you know, he just proclaimed, uh, you know, whatever he had, the first day of fundraising, a new record. That doesn't surprise me, because there's so many Bernie Sanders supporters still out there from four years ago that they were just waiting to donate. But that's not being critical of them, it's just being realistic. Yeah. So people like that with higher name recognition, they can have a campaign on a different level than, say, Senator um, Kristen Gilbrass from New York, whose her name recognition is not as good as Sanders. Um, she's been in the Senate in a while, but you know she needs to sort of get her name out there as well as pick up some issues. I'm just using her as an example. No, no, no. I think uh, and, and I think that's a, Senator Sanders. Yeah, no, I know. think that's a really good. Uh, it's a good example to use as well. You know, I mean, you have Cory Booker uh, who who's yeah. thrown his name into the ring and and all these. Do, do we think that that a that a Bernie Sanders though? I mean, does he? Um, you know, are we going to start to hear, oh, he's too old, he's too this, he's too that? I mean, he's not that far in difference in age with uh, our current uh, our current now, occupier gonna, of the office. I'm going to give you my thought on that, from again, from a little bit different than what you asked, but I, I hope you don't mind. No. You know, when you're when you're a challenger, he was essentially a challenger to Hillary Clinton. She sort of was going to get the nomination, and he kind of came out of nowhere and surprised her and a lot of other people. But I liken that to when Gary Hart almost knocked off Mondale in 84 right. for the nomination. And then he became the prohibitive favorite in 88. He dropped out, obviously, for other reasons. But uh, what happens is you become you get under more scrutiny when you're the front runner after coming so close the last time. So Senator Sanders may come under some scrutiny this time that he didn't have the last time because of what I just said. He Also, now the politics of today are different than they were four years ago. Some may say that his left type of politics is what the Democratic Party is looking for, perhaps even more so than four years ago. I don't know. I can't just I can't make a determination on that. If indeed it's so, that positions him pretty well. If indeed it isn't and they want to sort of pull back to a more centrist perceived candidate thinking that's better to beat Trump, then he may have some problems. But yeah, we're, as we said, we're talking a year and a half out before really the serious voting happens, or a year out, I guess, of the year from the New Hampshire primary in right. Iowa. Um, you know, a lot, does, a lot can happen, and, and with President Trump in the White House, he's demonstrated he's, he has his own script. It's unlike many any president I've covered or watched before. And so, you know, who knows what will happen in the next year that could change the dynamics of the presidential race in any direction. Right. No, there is that. I know there's been a lot that uh, Sanders has come under scrutiny on with the with with the um, with the fund, with his wife, with all that. And I'm sure all yeah. of that will come into play. And I'm, but I'm sure they've already got answers for all of that. It's just, you yeah. know, I keep saying, I, like, I have this conversation with my wife. Like, if you see it unfold, it's calculated and it's meant to be there. I, I don't maybe I don't know how many surprises there actually are. Yeah. You know? 
I, I think that there are, there's always surprises, <laughs> you know, and that doesn't mean they're bad surprises. It means, uh, you know, there are some things that you don't know is going to happen as a candidate, not necessarily to you personally, but right. to someone in your organization. And then that casts, you know, questions or reframes how, how you are. Yeah. So, you know, it, it's, it's interesting. You know, I always, I get into the, the this time of the season where all these people are, uh, are throwing their hat into the ring just to kind of, and I know some of them are just doing it because they have book tours coming up. I know that yeah, some of them yeah. are just doing it to actually see, like, all right, I mean, how how far, how much momentum can I get? Is this a real thing? And you know, I know that there's a lot of, but it always reminds me of the the uh, Bruce Springsteen song, Fifty Seven Channels and Nothing On." You know that yeah. that's just kind of what this type of the this, this time of the season is uh, to me. It's just kind of sit back, you know, let the channels flip through the channels. Uh, eventually you'll land on something that you're going to want to watch. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good analogy. Uh, I, I think that's is because, I mean, I know who these people are for the most part. I've never read much about the mayor uh, from Indiana who's running the Democratic nomination. But, you know, that's, but then you start hearing names like Mayor de Blasio of New York, who's, who wants to run, like I mentioned before, former Governor right. Terry McCollum from Virginia, uh, people from Colorado and out west. You're going to have an interesting mix. And, you know, ideally, the Democrats, uh, this is not me trying to be partisan, I'm just trying to be pragmatic. Yeah. Ideally, the Democrats, you know, would find in that mix a combination of not just the individuals they want on their ticket, but the ideas that they want on their ticket. Right. So if, if you're looking at it from the positive point of view, as, as I am, that that's that's healthy. You know, on the Republican side, former Governor Weld of Massachusetts has said he's interested in challenging President uh, Trump is a Republican nominee, and Governor Hogan of Maryland has made some noise about it. He says he's been asked to challenge President Trump. Uh, I don't think Governor Hogan will eventually, as he said, I don't want to go, on, there's no need to go on a kamikaze mission, <clears throat> you know, but, um, so the president would have the opportunity then, perhaps if he chose to, to have a, a primary debate with some of these foes, which would give him more publicity anyway. So, right. you know, it, the Democrats might not have all the attention, although if I had a bet, I would say they will have most of it, not all of it. Right. Well, so you bring up an interesting point too, and that was something I wanted to uh, did did want to drill in uh, and and ask you about that. Is see what I view happening in, in today's politics is we have a man who ran under the Republican ticket who doesn't really seem to embody a lot of the Republican values. So, ipso facto, is he actually a Republican? I I say he's not. At least not a Republican that I recognize. Does that leave the door open for what you might suggest, where there are a couple of these, you know, true dyed-in-the-wool um, red Republicans kind of step forward and say, you know what, we're we're just gonna we're gonna you know put some pride back into the Republican Party? I mean, is that is that a real is that a thing? Is that something that is actually being discussed and bandied around in a real form? I believe, from what I've seen, that uh, the Republicans. Um, whether they like President Trump or not, he is, in theory, a Republican president, and that's what they care about. Um, you know, I don't think the last time we've seen it, I don't, I don't believe anyone out there can challenge President Trump uh, in the primaries as it goes now. The Republican National Committee has sort of been melded into the Trump re-election campaign already, so it's going to be difficult for a Republican challenger to find space on the ballot and where he's going to get his or her support. 
Now, the unknown to me is how many Republicans are just so unhappy with President Trump that they would do what and seek what you what you outlined. Um, it's difficult to move from words to action, right. and we both know how hard it is to organize grassroots efforts. I mean, the Trump supporters are out there. There's at least a third of the voters, of you know, 35 percent of the voters or so, who still strongly support President Trump. And in caucus states, you know, that's critical to win those caucuses. And in primary states like New Hampshire, you guys, again, you, you're in the state next to New Hampshire. Uh, I think Trump's support in that state is pretty strong among Republicans. It, it's, you know, once you get past those first couple primaries, if you haven't defeated President Trump, uh, you're not going to beat him, you know. So right. it's going to be it's going to be tough even for a, a traditional Republican or whatever you want to call it, unless, again, as I say, in the next year or so, things happen that I cannot foresee that the Republicans sort of say, hey, we have to do this to protect our party. Right. Yeah. You know, I, again, it's just it, it's an interesting thought. And, you know, again, w- without trying to, you know, pick one side or the other. I mean, this is obviously a president, the likes of which we've never seen before. Um, yeah. And it's, uh, you know, the decision making skills, the um, all the other standards that every other president, Republican and Democrat have had to stand for. Uh, he seems to sidestep. So it's just it would be interesting to see if not under a Republican ticket, somebody running under some sort of a conservative umbrella that might challenge him. I'm, I'm kind of I'm. I don't know. Maybe I'm just sort of holding out hope that that might happen. Uh, it would be refreshing. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm a guy who just wouldn't mind just abolishing the two-party system altogether. I think it creates more problems than, than it's worth. I understand the need. I understand the justification. I understand all of that. But, you know, it would it would be nice if somebody could just kind of say, you know what, we just don't agree with you, and for those reasons, we're going to run against you and yeah. have that person not be on the Democratic side of the fence. Just a thought. Yeah, well, that's going to be tough. You know, look at the uh, the unenviable position third party and independent candidates feel. You know about that. So it's just really, really, really tough to do. Yeah, yeah, I know. It's just you know, again, maybe it's just a pipe dream. I don't know, but uh, it, it's it's interesting to think about uh, about this upcoming twenty yeah twenty twenty. I'm guessing election. that before. Uh, you know, before the first votes are taken in a year from now, we will have at one point about 20 Democratic candidates of various, you know, stature or levels of of knowledge uh, or people who know who they are. Uh, I, I'm guessing around 20, just the way it, if it keeps at the same pace. Yeah. A couple more senators and, you know, maybe a few governor, a governor here or there. Um, just, just a hunch. Yeah. Well, you know, I was I was trying to count them before the show, and you know, I just never, I couldn't find it. <laughs> I just couldn't quite <laughs> yeah. get a handle on it. They have, they have because quite... a lot of those keep speculating on stuff like Governor Cuomo. He's not going to run. You know, right. he's not going to run for president. And um, well, I've, I I found a list of people, but you know, I'm thinking nah, that person hasn't announced yet. Why are they on that list? So yeah, you know, exactly. That was my problem. Yeah. yeah. So they, you know, it just I I don't. Uh, I don't get it. I mean, you know, I know that when Bernie announced, like I know, uh, especially the state of Vermont where we are, uh, as you pointed out, you know, are, are, are a lot of staunch Bernie supporters and and wanted to wanted to see him the last time around, but uh, you know, the, the the DNC got involved and and you know, and here we are. Um, at least that's that's my take on it. You might have a different yeah. take on it, but. Uh, 
that that's just kind of where we are. So, I mean, the state of Vermont will firmly place itself behind Bernie. Some people, um, some people are just saying, nah, his time is coming on. We don't want to hear from him again. But I think that, again, uh, using the Bruce Springsteen analogy of 57 channels and nothing's on, uh, eventually you're going to find something that you're going to settle on. And if that's Bernie Sanders, you're going to watch it. You're going to vote for it. Just, yeah. just my theory. Because as a nation, we tire of things very easily. And and that that to me is often annoying, but yeah. you know. Oh yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. So I'm hoping that uh, whoever ends up there, that uh, that they can kind of get behind him. Um, but you know, it's 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 odd times, and uh, if 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 this current president has done nothing, it's just sort of infused doubt into the human race that they're 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 capable of doing the right thing every time. Well, we'll see. Yeah. Uh, yeah, every week that I'm on your show, we'll have probably a different perspective based on what happened following <laughs> the previous week. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Amen. Well, Tom, I, I, I thank Thanks you. Thanks a lot, man. Yeah, I thank, thank you for jumping on the program. Hey, and good luck out there. You're inside the okay, beltway. Okay, see you later. Take care. Bye. Bye-bye. There he goes, Tom Squitary from Talk Media News. Thank you for joining the program. Uh, I've been Fish. Steve West will be back in the program, in the saddle once again, talking the talk, walking the walk with me right here at the Earspoon, uh, which is, as always, brought to you by MochaJoes.com uh, and uh, the Mocha Joes Coffee folks. So I uh, want to thank them. And, of course, you can download this podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Talk to you next Monday. More at the earspoon.com